0: Hi, this is Rob Wade of Emotionally14.com, conductor of The Crazy Train, Player One at the E14 Gamecast, and the supreme leader of Talk Star Wars. You're listening to Mike and the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I commend your good taste. Thanks to Rob from Emotionally14. I've included a link to their website below. I also guested on one of their episodes. Um, It was my 50th episode, I think. I did part two of their episode, so go check out episode 50 of Genuine Chit Chat and go give Emotionally14 some love. And in this week's episode, I chat with a gentleman called Marcel Perkins, who is the founder of Latin Trails, which is a company that helps people travel around South America, primarily Ecuador, Peru and the Galapagos Islands, in a way that is respectful to other people's cultures, while also being incredibly enjoyable and wholesome for all involved now for a bit more detail on the subject matter um we talk about actually what latin trails does for a short while um, and then we talk about some of the animals one could encounter if they go to the galapagos including sort of penguins and tortoises and things like that and um, we then speak about some of the cultures sound in, found in south america including like the machu picchu well the incas are the culture obviously machu picchu is the thing that you go to visit to experience some of that culture and um, we speak about some of the delicacies in south america including some crazy meal with um, some tree worms we talk about ecuadorian chocolate and we talk about Loads of other things, including sort of some of the other activities you can do over there. Um, that Marcel built two yachts essentially um, that they used to travel around some of the islands. Um, some of Marcel's personal views on zoos, as well as discussions on how travel affects the environment, and loads of other things. So, for anyone who wants to travel in general or is really interested in South American culture, this is going to be a fantastic podcast for you. Now, I will just say a little caveat, which is this podcast on Marcel's side, his audio isn't perfect. I mean, for the majority of it, you know, the chat's about an hour. For like forty or so minutes of it, it is pretty much perfect, um, as far as we could go. It's the quality isn't as good as my microphone, but it still sounds fine. You can hear everything. Um, a phone rings a couple of times on his end, and towards the end, there is a part where you can hear children yelling in the background about something. Um, but apart from that, it is fine. But I will say, if you are just tuning into the show and you've never listened to an episode of genuine chit chat, generally the episodes are a much higher quality to this if i do them in person they're about as high quality as you can hear me now and when i speak to people over skype or zoom that sort of thing usually i get either they record with a decent mic or i can clean up the audio a little bit but as you may hear the audio isn't absolutely perfect in this so i do apologize for any of your audio files um if it bothers you that much then uh check out another episode of genuine chit chat this is not all the podcasts but i just thought i'd warn you guys before anyone starts sort of whinging about the audio not being absolutely perfect but in order to you could hear 99.9 of things marcel says and it's still Your fantastic chat so i do really recommend everyone just listens to it anyway that's about it from me for now guys um i'll be back at the end to talk about what we've got coming up and yeah uh, follow on you know the usual social media places give us reviews if you like it and share with your friends and people you know if you think people are going to enjoy it especially taking a look through the back catalogue um if you enjoy this one episode two of the podcast will probably be a good shout as well the second ever episode with my friend tj because she talks about some of her traveling around asia and things there but um i'll stop talking at the start now i'll be back at the end to chat with you guys for a bit more stuff and yeah i'll speak to you then Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Okay, and I'm here with Marcel Perkins. Um, How are you doing, Marcel? Are you alright? I'm doing
1: very well. How are you doing, Mike?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, um, as I was just saying before, where we pressed record over in the UK, we're having a heat wave. Um, so that's quite nice for a change. But obviously, going to work in the day and just looking outside at the the light is just it's uh, it makes me quite jealous in a sense of um well, kind of what you do. You you must uh, have a lot of experiences going out and traveling a lot. I mean, I think you'd probably explain it better than anyone. Sort of uh, what is Latin
1: trails and sort of how do you interlink with it and what do you do in a,
0: in a in a way.
1: Latin Trails is uh, what you would call a DMC. It's a destination management company. We're based in uh, Quito, Ecuador, South America. And um, to explain what we do is we do inbound tours for travelers from all around the globe that want to come and visit Ecuador. Mm-hmm. We work on a business-to-business basis, meaning that we work with travel agents in the UK, the United States, in Germany, in Australia. In other places around the world. And we act as their local representatives, offering travel services to people that want to get to see the culture, the nature, and the wonders of Ecuador. Mm.
0: Well, that's incredible. And um, is it just Ecuador you guys do, or are there other places you sort of travel to as well?
1: Well, uh, we do quite a lot in South America in general. Uh, we travel to Peru, and then all of the Amazon Basin, meaning the main ports in the Amazon, because we work a lot with the riverboat cruises that are, uh, that would explore the small tributaries off the main Amazon River in search mm-hmm. of wildlife. Um, these would be Manaus in Brazil, Trinidad in Bolivia, Iquitos in Peru, and then, of course, um, um, Francisco de Orellana in Ecuador. Uh, that in regards to the Amazon basin. But um, in general, all of Peru we cover, uh, trips to Machu Picchu, the Andes around Cusco and uh in ecuador we cover the entire country and the galapagos islands of course
0: yeah and, and that's incredible and you mentioned uh, machu picchu there um so but linking with with uh, one of the things is with history obviously like machu picchu and obviously in mexico there's chichen itza these sort of different uh, ancient civilizations um, do you have a passion in sort of uh, the exploration of these sort of places well,
1: i do actually but um in my my personal passion is nature travel mm. So I, I I really love visiting uh, places like the Amazon, uh, Pantanal, um, the Galapagos Islands, of course, and other reserves around the Andes. Of course, I am uh, I I am also enamored with the culture of Ecuador and Peru as well. The Inca ruins at Machu Picchu are amazing, as, and as you mentioned, Itza, it's a totally different culture, but it's it's mm. quite as ma- as amazing as well. Yeah. I mean, so what are some of the other sort of
0: nature places that you've, you've gone to sort of, obviously you've been to the Amazonian rainforest. Do you centrally go around the South America's because it's quite local to you or are there are other places you'd like to sort of travel and experience around the world?
1: I, I travel a lot around South America. It's uh, actually, it's our, it's our home in a way. Um, hmm. and of course there's different areas of the Amazon and there's different types of, um, rainforest. There's a uh, mountain rainforest, which is at the very end of the Amazon, which is part of Ecuador. And then there's the lowland rainforest of the Amazon basin, which can be divided into areas that can be navigable on the Amazon River, on small tributaries and creeks where you actually don't really go through hikes, but you're going through flooded rainforest. And then there's another area that is, uh, in general, around the Amazon on the lower rain season, where you actually can hike through the forest. So there's different uh, parts of the Amazon itself. And then uh, I've enjoyed also exploring the cloud forests at the on both sides of the andes of ecuador and in peru as well these are areas we explore i would say i work in in a way because we hmm. this is where we actually offer services to our guests that come from around the world but on my bucket list i do have antarctica oh wow i i do have uh um the polar bears in um in churchill canada that's on my on my, on my personal list that i still have to complete but uh the Amazon is an area that I know well, and the, the Galapagos Islands as well.
0: What are the, your favorite kind of creatures or, um, or animals that you see, that you love seeing in the wild, some of your, your favorites?
1: Well, I, I would have to refer to the Galapagos Islands in, in general, it's just because the wildlife there is very tame and it's not afraid of humans. It's never been uh, attacked by humans, so it doesn't feel threatened. And it has a different behavior that you'd find uh, from wildlife anywhere else on the planet. So, some of my favorite creatures to see there actually is are penguins. Uh, you can snorkel with them. They can they, you can just float up face to face with a penguin. Mm-hmm. The Galapagos Islands or spot a marine iguana. It's the only ocean-going lizard in the world. You can both see it underwater or on the on the ground in the Galapagos. They feed on algae while they're underwater, but on the ground they just um, sit tamely. But if you look at it, it looks like a small Godzilla. Mm. It's, a, it's a lizard but it's vegetarian no worries there <laughs> of course the giant tortoises of galapagos are very interesting as well it's a very slow animal and you have to have a lot of patience with it but um it, it's quite unique the size just uh knowing that this you know this creature could be even older than yourself and it's only found in these islands
0: yeah i mean those sort of creatures are incredible i mean i was thinking about sort of turtles and uh, penguins and yeah, a lot of those creatures are very sort of uh, peaceful, so it's a nice little place and, um, you know, obviously I haven't seen them in the wild, um, so obviously I don't have the same sort of uh, perspective on them, but seeing them in the wild is one of those things which must be incredible. I mean, I'm planning on going on a trip to Mexico, actually, in August, and um, I'm hopefully going to be going swimming with turtles as well. So. With that in mind, with your sort of tours and things, do you get a lot of people from, obviously you mentioned the UK slightly earlier, but um, do you have a lot of people from around the world all coming to um, South America um, using your service? Because I would imagine so with all the sort of huge amount of aspects that make it such an interesting place to go.
1: Yes, we do have a, well, we have travelers that will, as I said, from all corners of the world. We run two yachts in the Galapagos Islands. One of them is the Galapagos Seaman journey and the other one is the Galapagos Seastar journey. Both cater to 16 guests each, meaning we have eight cabins on board at each of them. And at any given time, we'll have um, easily eight to 12 different nationalities on board. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So it's not just the people from around the world, but it's multicultural couples. And it's just such a unique destination that it, it really doesn't attract uh, one nationality. It attracts, it, it attracts a type of person who loves wildlife. And you'll find this anywhere on, in, in every country around the world. We've had uh, travelers from Russia, from from China, from Japan, I mean from Slovenia, I mean, and of course from the UK as, as uh, from where you are, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we do have travelers from all over the globe.
0: And that must be an incredible thing to sort of, obviously in the world there's so many things that are so negative, but going into a place like that where you see all kinds of people obviously just enjoying the beauty of nature and sort of, obviously there are certain parts of nature that can be very scary, very upsetting, but with so many of the things that you've spoken about, it is a lot more of the sort of the peaceful ones. So other than um, the animals, which all do sound incredible, what are the sort of things do you like? What does Latin um, trails explore? Uh, Like I've got notes here about you sort of do horseback riding and biking as well, but uh, they mentioned historical parts as well. So um, what are some of the other aspects? Uh,
1: Some of the other aspects are cultural encounters with um indigenous uh, people, Mm. in both in the Amazon and in the Andes. We visit the uh, textile market at Otavalo, for example. That's um, not just the market, but the villages that are surrounding it. At the market you find, it's a handicraft market. And you find the people from Otavalo, the Otavaleños as we call them, uh, wearing their typical attire and um, putting their goods for sale. These are uh, handmade goods uh, carved in wood, leather, textiles, They make for a good souvenir, but at the same time, it's they trade it with other people as well. So it's an interactive market where you can actually bargain with them and walk around and at the different stalls, see different arts and crafts. Everything there is handmade. And in the small villages nearby, we can visit the homes of certain people and see their own workshops and how they craft these goods. So culturally speaking, this is one of the live cultures Ecuador offers. For example, on the other hand, if we visit Machu Picchu, we're talking about a culture that left the remnants of it. <laughs> so we get to see more of an a archaeological site. It's not a live culture, but it's an amazing monument to engineering. But engineering, we're talking about more than 500 years ago, because Machu Picchu was built on a mountain in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, where there was no cranes, there was no wheels or anything like that to pull these giant stones up onto this mountain, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Now, and nowadays you can reach it by train, well, not exactly to the ruins, but to the bottom of it, and then you'd have to take a bus up to the top of the hill. But if you think, you know, the distance from Cusco to Machu Picchu or from the Sacred Valley where they got the stones to take them all the way to Machu Picchu, it's, it's just hard to imagine that this uh, was done by humans.
0: Mm, I I I know what you mean. I mean, too. Uh, it's it's funny how uh, unimpressive isn't it is by comparison. But um, in the UK we have Stonehenge, and it's obviously not such a insanely incredible monument as something like Machu Picchu. But you know, people love seeing it. This um, for anyone who isn't aware, it's it's basically a circle of um, sort of stone rectangles and sort of a uh, uh, sort of several archway formations. And it's the one of the reasons people find it so incredible was because it, it dates back to hundreds, um, if not I think thousands of years ago, and it's got it moved from like the, the actual stone that was used was from such an incredible like hundreds if not i think thousands of like miles i think it's more hundreds of miles away and it was like in those sort of times the how they actually managed to do that is, is as you say is a monument to itself but then with a place like Machu Picchu you see the sort of incredible architecture of what they could actually achieve in those times and it, it is just it's incredible when you're in places such as those, you feel this sort of, this breath of history, like, like things have sort of transpired here, like ancestry and whatnot. And so leading into that, obviously, um, to get a little bit more about yourself, um, if I'm correct, were you um, born in America and then you moved to um, Ecuador, is, is that right?
1: Yes, that is correct. I was born in New Jersey, the East Coast of the United States. Uh, my father, he's from New Jersey as well. And my mother, she's Ecuadorian. So we moved to Ecuador when I was... Uh, Sixteen years old, uh, but before that, I grew up between both the uh, East Coast and Ecuador. And uh, from sixteen years onward, I, I've lived in Ecuador. I did my university studies in the United States and in Ecuador, mm. uh, taking both in both cultures. I am fully bilingual. Uh, this is thanks to my both my parents speaking each in their native tongues. That's a little bit about me on on that side. I um, but I've made my life in Ecuador with uh, my family. Uh, I have three kids and I'm happily married. So this is that's a little bit about me. But um, about uh, what we do in in Latin Trails is we focus on more than just travel itineraries. We actually create experiences for our guests.
0: Yeah, and also obviously with you having that sort of culture between the two is that one of the reasons sort of you you decided to um, pursue this sort of um and was it also was it just yourself who started this or were you a part of a team that has uh, created this latin trails
1: well the reason i started i decided to pursue it was because of the cultural gap there is between ecuador and the united states that i felt you know that we could actually create bridges and have people from um, North America initially explore South America, uh, Ecuador uh, and Peru, which are extremely beautiful countries and have a better understanding for the people that, you know, have come from these countries to live in the United States that, you know, in form of immigrants and all that and to create a sense of respect for them. Um, which there, which there, there, there is, but you know, a sense of better understanding of what they can find in South America. And uh, eventually this turned into a business where we've, contacted uh, we've been in contact with agents from all over the globe and now we cater to uh, over 40 nationalities at any given time yeah and that, that is a
0: that's an incredible feat in itself and regarding how you started i wanted to ask sort of uh, how long ago was it and was there a specific moment that you kind of decided to do this like a like a, or was it sort of quite a long process that you kind of had mulling around for for a while
1: well it, it always had been in my mind and in Mind because my parents always, um, they had a passion for exploring the region, showing uh, me and my siblings uh, the beauty of Ecuador, but not uh, not just Ecuador, but of all of South America, where we were living, and of course, um, as well throughout the United States. So I actually grew up traveling a lot. We did road trips crossing the entire United States from uh, New Jersey all the way to Texas a few times, but we also did the same throughout South America, and we explored uh, many of the Places that are very popular now, which back then were just the uh, places that were interesting in terms of history or, or, or culture. So we, I kind of grew up doing this and I, I, really fell in love with the Amazon and, and other areas, as I mentioned. And then, uh, uh, the, the turning point was in 2002, actually when we started, where I was uh, promoting cruises to the Galapagos Islands for, um, for one of the larger cruise lines and i decided that i wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful and uh, share ecuador at large peru at large with uh, many people from around the globe especially ecuador because it's not a, such a well-known destination but it's extremely beautiful because if you look at the geography of ecuador you have the andes the amazon the pacific coast and the galapagos islands which sounds great just there but if you look at the topography of our planet and you go from the equator towards the poles, you go anywhere from mangrove to rainforest, dry forest, cloud forest. You, you'll pass by through tundra, grasslands, and eventually you'll reach the poles where you have glaciers. Well, Ecuador, on a smaller scale, if you go from the equator in a, on a vertical trip, you'll go from, you, you'll pass through every single one of these regions until you reach the, the tip of the volcanoes where you have glaciers. So you can see all the geo, um, Almost every ge- geographical region from our planet, it can be represented throughout Ecuador. This gives a diversity in, in terms of scenery, in terms of ingredients for food, in terms of culture, because each culture has adapted to its climatic level. And of course, this gives um, an amazing playground to explore in a very small country, which is actually the longest flight within the country is a half hour. Mm. And you can drive from side to side in about 14 to 15 hours oh well, i was going to ask about
0: um what is the kind of uh, delicacies people can expect going to somewhere like ecuador i mean I, I personally must say i'm not familiar with it and also is it as you said with the different um cultures
1: and almost regions of it does it change per region also yes of course absolutely i mean um, well in terms of food if you if you're in the amazon we have um i'll, I'll, I'll describe a couple of dishes and i guess that can uh, do but it's not just there it's um you have, uh, you have freshwater fish from the Amazon, like the paiche. This can be prepared in a maito. This is prepared within a, a type of a, a leaf that's called bichao. It would be similar to a banana leaf, but it's a little bit different. And it has different pickles from the Amazon region, herbs that give it a distinctive flavor. And you can wrap, it's wrapped up and it's cooked within, within charcoal. So it gives a very special flavor to fish. And it's combined with manioc root, yuca, uh, which is known like that, which is um, cassava. Okay. Uh, those are three names for it. Um, and um, and then it's seasoned with local herbs. So it actually has a unique flavor. You can't find this anywhere else than in the Amazon region. Now in Ecuador, you have a, another version of it, which is called ayampaco. Ayampaco is the same, but it's with the added ingredients of having rice. And instead of chi- uh, fish, you have chicken. But it's cooked within the leaves. It gives it a very juicy flavor, very distinctive. It picks up this... Uh, this uh, this uh, very strong herbal flavor to it. Very very delicious. This is a little bit about the Amazon, without getting too exotic. Then in the Andes, throughout Ecuador and Peru, you have roasted pork, you have guinea pig, you have uh, lamb stew. You have um in Ecuador alone, you have two thousand different types of soup. Oh wow! And uh, and I could go onwards with that. Then in the coast of Ecuador and in the coast of Peru, you have ceviche. Ceviche is raw fish. It's marinated in lemon. And then you have different ways of preparing it with onion. Um in Peru it's with onion. You have um it's a little bit more I wouldn't say basic, but it's just um, very few ingredients but very well seasoned and extremely delicious. In Ecuador it's a little bit more complex because each region adds something different to it. So you can actually have ceviche in the Andes of Ecuador and instead in um, ceviche usually in the coast it's presented with fried plantain chips. And you have, um, depending on the part of the coast, you can actually have a type of, uh, peanuts grinded and added in a peanut salt, which is called sal prieta in Spanish. Or in the Andes, you actually have it combined with toasted corn instead of the, the plantain uh, chips. So there's different versions of it, but that's a little bit about the food in Ecuador. And these are just three staple dishes out of a large, large list I could go through. Well,
0: I was going to say, just that you said you could go a bit more because Could you give us one uh, really, really different kind of dish that's just kind of really obscure that you, maybe even you really like?
1: Yes. And, in, and both in the Ecuadorian and in the Peruvian Amazon, we have what in Peru they call suri. And in Ecuador, we call it chontacuro. These are the worms from the palm the heart of palm so these worms actually have a it, you would almost say they have a taste of the chestnut within them and you can cook them and uh, people eat them as a delicacy actually
0: oh wow that is incredible i mean i've heard a lot of um sort of uh not so like obviously in england it's quite a, it's a very western culture so people often when you speak about eating bugs and things people kind of go oh but like i've always thought about it with a lot of people eat crickets and, and those sorts of things in some other places across the world, there's the wider scope for what sort of things you can eat from bugs. Cause it's a lot of bugs have got a lot, a lot of protein in a lot of like surprise nutrients. And people have even said if, you know, if all these, uh, if all the animals, Died out, or some sort of thing happened where we couldn't—we uh, overpopulated too much. Insects would actually be a potentially uh, really good source of all these sort of uh, nutritional things. So, so hearing about the worm is it's—it's it's very interesting, and I'd always think if I went to that sort of region, I'd love to try something like that. I mean, I, I know quite a few people are quite squeamish.
1: Well, yes, of course, um, and that's—and—and and I wouldn't expect you know a guest uh, or one of our visitors to go in ahead and eat worms. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, not all of them, but uh, I mean, on the other hand, the Amazon is extremely rich in, the, in other things. You have Wayusa, which is a superfood. It's a, it's a plant. You dry it and you make an infusion of it. And it actually has so many, uh, antioxidants that is, it, it's refreshing. It actually can, and it's from the Amazon, but it can help you actually in the Andes to counter, uh, the counter effect against altitude sickness. So it's okay. really. Uh, I mean, that's one thing. Uh, also, I mean, throughout the and the original cocoa bean on the planet is, is from the Amazon region of Ecuador. Hmm. So you do have um, Ecuador's uh, chocolate at the moment is really taking over the world in a way that it's earning gold medals in, in all the contests because it's a different type of chocolate. You see the cocoa beans uh, from Ecuador are the fine aroma cocoa beans and uh, we're blessed uh, for the reason of having uh, micro plantations, meaning it's not a you know it's not a mono plantation where you have thousands of hectares of cocoa beans, you know, in line, but it's actually small farmers that have cocoa beans in their farms, but they're planted next to other um, to other types of uh, fruits, uh, corn, or, or or other agricultural products. It's more like a, you know, like a backyard um, garden almost, but at a larger scale. So this, you know, with modern processing, a lot of Ecuadorian chefs studying the process of chocolate, they've come to, uh, let's not use the word discover, but they've come to find that, you know, chocolate, the cocoa bean actually absorbs the flavors and the sense of everything that's planted around it. Oh wow! And it can actually vary in flavor from where it's grown at the altitude or the amount of rain it receives. So two different chocolate bars without added ingredients can taste different. Almost like if you're trying to taste two different you know types of wine, you know, and and, and or you know a cabernet or a carmineer, or comparing you know a malbec or a merlot, uh, different types of wine. You would find this from different types of uh, chocolate bars that have been grown from different plantations because one of them had bananas next to them, the other one had papayas next to them, and you can find a small, subtle aftertaste that makes it a real delicacy. So uh, we—that's another thing we can, you know, that uh, somebody coming to Ecuador can look forward to is you know really finding some of the best chocolate on the planet without, not not chocolate mixed with milk and sugar. We're talking about chocolate without added ingredients that has been harvested and processed in a very fine way to keep these subtle notes in each bar. Yeah,
0: you know, and that sounds, um, that sounds lovely. I mean, um, we have a, a, a franchise, I guess a shop over here called um, Hotel Chocolat, this chocolate in French, and um, they have like really expensive chocolate in there. And I have seen a lot of the, um, especially the darker bars of chocolate saying, you know, Ecuador, and they're some of the more expensive ones. And um, I did actually get my mum some, uh, the other celebration i think it was birthday or something and she absolutely loved it and it's she said it was this sort of very different taste now i have seen it in in a lot of sort of uh chocolatier places using a lot more of that kind of that kind of chocolate so it is it's very interesting to hear about the sort of different places where it it has its own flavor which sounds incredible you must get so much um, so many different amazing flavors of chocolate over there and so many other desserts from it
1: yes and it's developing actually because you see that, um, one thing is, you know, the technique in processing chocolate. Of course, it's been pioneered in Belgium and in Switzerland, but now a lot of that technique has been passed on to chefs in Ecuador and, and they have the source, which is the cocoa beans. And what really makes it special is how it's harvested, how it's planted, how it's, you know, how the, the agricultural process is taking place. So for foodies, yes, there is more than just worms or anything like that. <laughs> um, no, and you have, um, and, and we're talking about, you know, a part of Ecuador that's the Andes, but then you have exotic fruits like uh, naranjilla. It's uh, it, it's it's native to Ecuador and Colombia. In Colombia, it's known as Lulu, and it can't really be found anywhere else as an original fruit. And it's, um, I would say it's family of the passion fruit, but a bit different, Um it's a bit more acid, and it's extremely delicious.
0: Oh, that's absolutely great!
1: So we do have everything uh, that you'd expect for vegans and vegetarians as well. <laughs> <laughs> not just anybody wanting to go and you know and and eat everything they say, but <laughs> which is not really the case. But you know, it's just um, an exotic combination of flavors that can you know with the chefs now nowadays the worms actually. We had an experience where we actually sourced ingredients from the Amazon, and uh, we just placed them on, uh, inside a the kitchen with one of the chefs. And he, was, he had to prepare different you know dishes from it, and of course, it had the worms. So, so everybody at the table would not you know just jump out and say, okay, this is done. Well, he made, he made a special type of salt out of it, and butter from it, and different uh, seasonings from the worms. Oh, wow. And then and that way, everybody was able to eat it. And, and so, the technique is is gone uh, quite a way, in, in terms of uh, cooking in Ecuador, but with local ingredients and all this variety of ingredients, making it uh, one of the unique uh, gastronomies in the region, which should be, uh, I think, it will be flying high pretty soon, just the same way Peru has done, because Peru is also a very biodiverse country, and then, and it's and it's worldwide known for pisco and ceviche. Well, Ecuador has its own versions as well, but. Peru has its um, its Andean foods as well, uh, potato and corn based as well. In, in Peru, you have thirty thousand. I know, not thirty thousand. I'm sorry, three thousand varieties of potatoes. Oh wow, so incredible amount. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's amazing what I mean what, what they can prepare, and this is why many Peruvian chefs have made it uh, to opening restaurants in London, uh, Berlin, uh, and other important cities around the globe.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean. I was just thinking about, um, When you're obviously talking about the chefs having these sort of other techniques and things, I I imagine the mix between not only having all these exotic plants as well as, you know, all the different animals and um, obviously the fish, with not only all of those different things to choose from, but also the different sort of parts of Ecuador's culture, um, ones, you know, from the different regions, they would have to utilize their own cooking methods with whatever they just had at the time. And as you've been saying, as it's sort of uh, times progressed and people are more interconnected, they have got these spe- uh, specific uh, cooking styles that were central to their region and then it's spreading to the other regions and obviously even more so now the rest of the world while also being able to use even more ingredients. So it's got this, like when you said um, more towards the start with a lot of the dishes, some use sort of plantain chips while others use sort of banana leaves and it's like, it's similar, or like different plants, but it's similar cooking methods and things and, and it's just, there's so much... Uh, mixing there as you see biodiversity and it's it's really interesting to hear about all those sorts of things and with the cultures themselves what sort of practices do uh, people do that's different to the standard sort of uh, american life
1: well for starters i mean some people in the amazon they still have their shamanic rituals mm. and um they would uh, you have them uh, the shaman himself still drinks hallucinogenous herbs like ayahuasca Mm. To take a spiritual trip and uh, interpretate uh, the dreams of people or their thoughts or their feelings, and mm. it, going into holistic healing, or that's one. Or in the Amazon, the herbal doctors that will actually they, they know that you know a snake bite can be cured with this plant. Or one day they can say, "Okay, I want my wife not to have kids for three years, so she'll she'll drink this herbal infusion." And after three years, I want her to have kids, so I'll give her this other one to reactivate her reductive system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in terms of medicine and, and ancestral knowledge, it's passed on quite verbally, actually, still in the Amazon. But that's one thing. Um, the, the the way of life, again, living in still uh, in small huts in, inside the rainforest, the, now settling down a little bit, yes, there is a... There is Occidentalization, if you want to call it that way, or whatever you want to call it is, um, modern world flowing into the, these tribes where you'll see a satellite antenna and they, you'll see TVs, you'll see blue jeans and t-shirts. So no, nothing, you know, not expecting to go around, running around naked or anything like that. <laughs> it's just, you know, people that are, have a different way of life, different beliefs. This is in the Amazon. In the Andes, people still wear their traditional attire at certain places like Cotabalo where they wear ponchos, and, they, and they, they, they keep their hair long. They wear, wear um, a, a wool hat, and that's part of their attire. And at another town, they have a different color poncho and a different color hat or a different size hat. This is throughout the Andes. Women can wear embroidered dress skirts that are wrapped around. And depending on their belt and then depending on their earrings and on their on their shirt, uh, belt, um, it could mean that they're married or they're single the way they put on their, their belts and things like that and and it's very colorful for one part and of course traditional celebrations like the Rime throughout the andes which is the festival festival of the sun which has been overlapped with the harvest festival um in terms of food as well i mean in ecuador you have fanesca uh, which is cooking 12 different grains into a soup at the time of um uh harvest as well but this is a represent it, it's um it's an Easter, and it represents, um, uh, religiously speaking, it represents the twelve apostles, one for each grain. But really, in an indigenous cosmo- cosmovision, it's actually the harvest festival where they're they're celebrating the harvesting of all these grains. Um, onwards to the coast, you have people still living in huts and and fishing on an artisan basis. You know, from smaller boats. Yes, they do have uh, fishing nets as well. But um, it's it's more like um, done in a traditional way, a little bit more laid back, where things are still on the slow road. It's changing a little, and this is happening all over the globe, but still people living here in a traditional way. Yeah, I mean, all of those things are sort of very, um,
0: very interesting to see and hear about. I mean, obviously we don't see those sorts of perspectives in a lot of the Western world. I mean, there there's many different sides to, obviously, as you mentioned, medicine and other sort of ritualistic things, which people don't always understand. But I always find it's very important for people to sort of go witness and experience. I mean, you have obviously the more sort of eastern cultures have their own sort of type of medicine and they're a lot more into sort of meditation and those sorts of things while you go into the more indigenous people of the south americas and certain other places in the globe and it is about sort of um a lot more about the garbs and a lot more about sort of the herbs you drink and obviously ayahuasca being um something that a lot of people in america are going down to peru and places like that to try these things to to try and have these sorts of uh, ritualistic experiences and you know i've heard a lot of people have had transformative experiences going to these sorts of places and um with latin trails is that something that you find that when people have this time traveling around ecuador and things they they come back thinking or feeling like they've had um that sort of transformative experience of seeing all these different cultures as well as experiencing what they've been experiencing especially the food i'd imagine too
1: yeah dude, with the food with the meeting different cultures yes we wouldn't offer we don't offer any ayahuasca trips yeah. um just out of basic principle for us it's something that is considered sacred and it shouldn't be misused that's fair enough yeah that's understandable that's for us it's uh, really something we would offer because also it can be dangerous if it's not done right mm-hmm. because it could be a trip with no return
0: yeah exactly and it's a it's using the dmt that people can you know use in other ways and things which can obviously be problematic for some people and that's not the only thing to come down here and come down here like I'm there, I go down to Ecuador and Peru and those sort of places. It's not like, it, it's an it's a important part of the culture and also there is such an endless amount of other things to experience. It's like to, you know, not do that one thing. It's like there's so much more you wouldn't even need to have to think about that, that sort of specific part. There's so much beauty in the nature of um, the Amazon rainforest and all the other creatures that you would have that sort of transformative changing experience Without any need for those sorts of chemicals, anyway, I'd imagine.
1: Oh yeah, of course. I mean, it's something that you know you don't need. To, you wouldn't need to have a transformative experience because you you have so many things to do. I mean, we're talking just about the surface here. We because a lot of our trips can involve whitewater rafting, riding a bicycle down the side of a volcano, <laughs> horseback riding through the rainforest, hiking um, on the not 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 really summiting necessarily summiting you know one of the volcanoes, but Hiking around the highlands, camping, or staying or going from lodge to lodge, just doing the Inca Trail, which is a tremendous trip. I mean, a tremendous experience because you're walking on stone throughout the mountains, and it's all paved out. and It's like a highway, but you know, in the middle of nowhere, where you still think, well, "How do they get these slabs of stone to build this, you know, pathway up through the mountains? You know, at this altitude, through these forests, through this." you know, geography, or or a more simple trip, which is the the Devil's Nose train ride in Ecuador, where a a train to get down the face of a mountain has to go down on switchbacks because of the steepness of it, the difference in altitude and all these engineering uh, processes. And this is actually not so far back. It's from the early 1900s. The train was started, it was opened in 1909. So at that time, they still had to find a way of you know going down the mountain by switchbacks not just uh, necessarily you know going straight down or something like right?
0: Yeah I see what you mean I mean with all those sorts of uh, things in place you can do um would you agree that It's nice for people to go down there and uh, switch off from, you know, technology has its place and it's important things in many ways. But obviously when you can go down there and go, you know, when you're riding a bike, you shouldn't be. So you wouldn't be uh, on your phone while you're doing it. You know, when you're doing horseback riding, when you're camping, when you're doing a lot of these things, it's nice to, for a lot of people, have this disconnect from that and just kind of experience the world in a more... Uh, true form without sort of the the, the buzz of technology, the, the noise of it. You kind of get a true uh, feeling of tranquility. I mean, I found that from camping. I assume that when you've been going around Ecuador, um, especially when you were younger, you found that sort of, obviously it was slightly different due to the technology not being the same uh, as when you were younger, but even the, the hustle and bustle of city life, like being in amongst nature is is unlike anything else.
1: Of course. I mean, sleeping in the Amazon, you the crickets in all town. Sound- a life that is, uh, that is around you. And it's quite unique, actually. It's not, uh, you know, that's for one thing. Then, uh, I mean, I'm uh, in the Galapagos Islands, sleeping on board a small boat to get from island to island, you, you know, for people that have never been on a boat, uh, sleeping on a yacht, it's, it's, it's also a unique experience. Some people are up to it. Others are not. And they, there's different ways of exploring the islands or snorkeling. You're swimming and you see sharks go swimming right under you <laughs> in the Galapagos Islands. But, uh, you know, these uh, animals are, so well fed that they will not look at humans as you know anything to be interrupted with. they just swim on their way and that's the way with animals in the Galapagos in general
0: yeah i mean it's it's one of those things as i said with um being out in these sort of different environments is also incredibly healthy uh for someone like having a change of environment from the standard day-to-day is something that people really underestimate as being healthy if you're even if you're in a place that you enjoy and you're very comfortable and things it's it's always good not only to go out and experience the different culture but also if you separate one yourself from uh, the large amount of people aspect and you do just go around to these places and just you know, walk through a forest. Go, experience like looking over a mountain and seeing you know countless fields. I mean, I've I've hiked up um, a mountain in England. There's only three that are really like large and noteworthy. But you know, I hiked the way up it. It was snowing, and it was this obviously incredibly different temperature to over in Ecuador. But having that experience, that memory is going to be with me forever. And it's the memories that you can uh, create in you know with Latin trails and in Ecuador and Peru. That are not only different from the day to day, which is incredibly important, but also it it just creates a memory, and, and like those are invaluable. You know, at the end of the day, that that's all you have is, is the the memories of these these experiences.
1: And that's what we we want to create is something you know people can take back with them for the rest of their lives. And that is not just you know something you can hold on to or you can carry in in, in a bag as a souvenir. This is something, uh, an interaction or a skill you've learned from. Meeting with somebody else.
0: Yeah, precisely. And I want to ask you. touched on it slightly earlier um, about the two yachts. Um, have I got the information right that you uh, built these yachts, or at least refurbished them in some way?
1: The the Catamaran the Seaman Journey was built in two thousand and seven. We took part in the design of this boat. This was uh, not built by us specifically, but the Sea Star Journey was built from us from uh, the ground up. Oh wow. This yacht was built. Actually, um, a, we. What my partner, he's quite uh, into engineering a lot, and he decided to actually use a recycled cement factory to source iron, and that is actually the keel of the boat. So it's been built from a recycled cement factory, part of it at least, and then from the ground up uh, with the artisans. Um, the, it, you see, the boat was not printed out at um you know, at a at a at a modern shipyard, it was actually built by the Ys River in Wayaquil by people welding by hand everything. So the the yacht itself is a hand built yacht, where we had carpenters come and they actually uh, formed every 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 piece of furniture right there at the boats. Um, the walls, everything was placed there. You know, from metal onwards from the ground up so it's um, quite a, an artisan boat on one side but on the other hand it's um it's a very upmarket boat uh because of its size it, the facilities it offers and everything and it was just built in a very creative way well
0: that's incredible also um i know on latin trails it mentions about sort of being an eco lodge I-, I wonder if you could sort of discuss uh sort of how how the uh connectivity the synergy with the uh, environment that you have especially with uh, the way you go about sort of exploring the uh the la- local landscape as well as with your
1: the locations that you choose uh we have to recognize um, from the very beginning is that travel has a big huge impact if we didn't want to have an impact on your environment we would have to stay home and walk and everything we would do would be by foot. And, um, well, that is not the reality of the world nowadays. So just by going on, you know, taking a flight, we are, we are affecting the environment. Uh, with the cruises in Galapagos, uh, going from island to island, although we have recycling systems on board and water processing, uh, we are affecting the environment one way or another. Um, by staying at a hotel in Ecuador or in any place around the world, we are affecting the environment. We're using water, we're using resources. We try. um, We recognize this impact, and we try as much as possible to reduce it. We we participate in several projects. One of them is um, a lodge in the Amazon called Hakuna Matata. It has 124 hectares of rainforest, which at some point were grasslands and cattle. It was a cattle ranch. Okay. At the very uh, verge of the Amazon, at the end of the Andes, and we decided. uh, Well, this is something that has been in the lodge was actually. Pre-built already when we purchased it, but we invested in this project because it was protecting these hectares and restoring rainforest. So, at the moment, uh, at this present moment, we've achieved that from uh, being uh, you know just uh, plain grassland. Now we have a secondary growth forest around the whole area. This in the this is one part, uh, the lower part of the reserve, because the other part is in the mountain, and. Um, we do have primary rainforest there as well, but the major part of the the, the reserve, about 80 hectares, is secondary forest. And we've put a statute into the constitution of the lodge where this cannot be touched for another 200 years. So eventually it will become primary rainforest once again. And we try to add little by little land to this project. So that's a little bit of uh, trying to manage our impact. One of the things we do also, I mean, we as much as when we 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 brief our guests on uh on conservation, on how we're impacting and on the rules of each place. And of course on respecting the local cultures and, and, and understanding, you know, their their way of life and not being intrusive, but being immersive in the sense of letting it allowing it to be a cultural exchange where they can learn from us as well. Yeah. Um one thing
0: that you said there about sort of you um you purchasing part of the rainforest and things, um in the future do you plan on sort of uh expanding obviously alongside the expansion of latin trails as a company are you planning on expanding sort of the amount that you can purchase to sort of protect more of the land
1: Uh, that is in the plans uh we we, it's something that is um it's a project that has to be self-sustainable um and little by little we we we've been adding uh, land to to this project so eventually it it will grow uh latin trails on, on in terms of expanding we we would like to focus more than on, on, on growth or becoming a large company. We would like to focus on expanding in terms of quality and per, in terms of uh, reaching a more, um, let's say, our, our guests, we usually target a high end, the high end of the market. Wouldn't call it exactly luxury travel, but more focused on experiences. So our, our target is to actually improve what we do. And yes, become a little bit greener at the same time. but. Um, it, it, it is a it is a process which we have uh, laid out, and um, eventually, I mean, we, we don't plan at the moment, we don't plan to add more boats, but we've built a small hotel in Quito, for example. It's called Ila Experience Hotel, and this is from an old colonial mansion in the downtown area in the historic part of Quito, Ecuador, and it's a 10-room property. It's uh, more than a hotel. I would call it a home, a luxury home. Where our guests can interact with the neighborhood that's around them, Uh, we have a great relationship with our neighbors, and they can participate in unique experiences every day. Handcrafts like weaving a straw hat, doing watercolor painting with a local artist, making ice cream with one of our 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 neighbors, and um, private curated walks to one of the monasteries that are nearby, or visiting one of our neighbors at their house. We we, in, in general we. We've crafted a list of about 40 different experiences, but at the same time, these are friendly with our our neighbors because they actually earn an income from these experiences.
0: Yeah, and and that's kind of what one has to try and do when you're trying to, as you said earlier, cross the bridge between certain cultures and things. You have to do it in a way that is mutually beneficial. And the way that it sounds like you're doing it is in more than just sort of a two-way system, but it's also in even more than that with not only sort of, the uh other people from across the world coming into sort of ecuador peru and those and galapagos those sort of places and interacting with individuals but also in a sense of with us as humans with the nature and also animals themselves and um in that same vein i'm, I'm just intrigued by your own uh opinion on sort of zoos themselves and and conservation uh, do you have obviously with conservation itself you i would imagine have a you are passionate about that sort of thing but i'm just interested in, in zoos if you're more for them or if you're more uh leaning on leave nature by itself
1: i would i my this is my personal view yeah. i i am not too happy with zoos because uh bringing an animal from a different environment taking it out of its you know wild uh, area is not i i don't see it as a humane thing i don't see how a polar bear can be comfortable in the northern hemisphere during the summer yeah or, you know, basically it's not, I don't see it uh, being a uh, proper treatment for wildlife. I think wildlife should remain in their habitat. Now, having said that, there is a few zoos that take care of local animals that have been rescued, you know, and that, you know, they would probably not be able to survive in the wild, but they're kept in their same uh, environments. They're not exported as a token of, um, you know, as a, as a, as an oddity to display within a cage. But they're actually, uh, I can't say it's 100% uh, humane at these rescue centers, but at least they're kept within their area. And it's animals that have been rescued from, let's say, uh, an ocelot that has been, you know, harvesting off the chickens of a community. And eventually, the, the you know, this uh, local tribe in the jungle is going to hunt it down. So, if, you know, if it can be you know, kept away from that and, you know, tried to be reinserted but within another area deeper in the forest, if they realize that it still has its hunting skills and still can survive, that's fine. Otherwise, sometimes it, 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 they've had the need to actually keep it within, a, let's say, a closed environment, not necessarily, well, which is a nice word, sounds that, but uh, it's just a giant cage, you know, and then kept there to avoid it from being killed for hunting down, you know, local livestock. Mm. So there's a difference. Uh, I, I would think that is a little bit more sensible, but at the same time it does. Uh, I mean, it comes to the borderline when you decide to keep it because it's bringing you an income from people that are coming to visit to see it, or if you're keeping it because it cannot be released. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a very fair point. I mean, I, I feel similarly to you do. I think if it's doing more help, either for conservation or to save the animal itself, then yeah, it can be helpful. But then it does toe that line. You know, if I've seen it in zoos before where I've um, there's zoos in England where you have tigers there and it's like, oh, we've saved this tigers from poaching because there's only, you know, this small amount of them left in the world. And it's that really hard line, you know, do we want to have the tigers all safe in sort of captivity and potentially not happy with it? Or do we want to let poachers, obviously other people, uh, kill them and obviously there's hundreds of other sort of facts to go into it it's not just that simple and it's obviously not a, a, not an easy uh, question to answer at all and it's not something we can just have an easy solution for it's just people have to kind of be a bit more conscious and i i think that's exactly what you're trying to achieve you're, you're not just sort of you know, not being an echo warrior and forcing it down people's throats but it's like well, if you come to our place we're going to give back we're going to give back to the community we're going to give back to nature and it works in a synergistic circle uh, and with that as well I wanted to ask um, some other part is um, I'm quite interested in uh, r- religious architecture I- I'm not a religious individual myself but I, I really like uh, religious architecture and I seem to of course cool seeing um, a couple of pictures I, th- I think it was in uh, Quinto I think um, of
1: some sort of large church or cathedral of some sort. Oh, actually Quito Ecuador is um is a very strong center for religious art because the Quito school of art it was born from uh the blend of a local artisan uh work from the indigenous people, the Incas and the pre-Incas that lived in this region, taught by monks from both Italy and Spain. You had the Dominicans which were the Italian monks and the Franciscans which were not necessarily a, a Spanish religious order, but they had come in from from Spain. And what they did is they taught them to craft religious um, stories throughout paintings, throughout sculptures, throughout uh, different forms of art. And this is um, kept up to the day in, in churches. Some of them are covered in gold leaf, and um, they're majestic with um, entire areas um, uh, where you can see tons of gold. <laughs> literally um, uh, blended in with the paintings and, and sculptures and all this uh, majestic this majestic form of art that is you know the the religion um, the the, re- the religious driven art if you want to call it that way and this can be found throughout the different churches of Quito and throughout several museums in the city as well but also walking through the streets of the city you can see the not just religious art but the colonial architecture the local form of art and, and the blend between the Spanish um, colonial and the indigenous Andean art form.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I do like seeing um, art in, in a lot of uh, different places. When you go across the world, you can see it in, like there's a couple of museums um, in England. Um, one of them is the Powell Cotton Museum, and it's all about an adventurer who went to, to Africa, for example, and you see sort of a lot of the, um, items they have there and a lot of the sort of variations on things but in in the same museum they also have um, similar objects primarily sort of weapons and equipment and things from other parts of the world which are similar but do have that slight difference and I think that seeing the streets of a different country i mean i've traveled around um, europe which obviously is not quite as as different as sort of the south americas or as africa as i was speaking about a moment ago but even in europe you go to the cities you you go down sort of the the main streets and in the the bigger parts and you see a lot of the architecture and it's always just very interesting to see how different cultures obviously they made food as we discussed they have sort of um, rituals or things they do as well as clothing but the actual the houses that they build to live in every place you go has its own sense of personality and from what you're telling me it sounds like ecuador has just a huge amount of
1: personality yes absolutely i mean it has um it's different even from uh i mean south america in general is quite different from you know any any other area around the world but between Ecuador and Peru, you can find subtle differences. And as I mentioned, I mean, if you want to do it on a summarized version, Peru is has on display more ar- archaeological sites, while Ecuador has on display more live cultures. And and, and that's one thing. Now, uh, in general, in South America, but uh, let's uh, referring to Ecuador and the Andes, you do have a lot of things that are still made by hand. Mm. Uh, and it's a country where you will not find souvenirs that say "made in dot dot dot." Not because, you know, we. It just, uh, it's not just, uh, you know, everything is outsourced to just one place. It's outsourced all over the world now. And uh, a lot of souvenirs are outsourced. Well, in Ecuador, you'll find things that are still made by hand. And you can still go to the shop and find the person that is crafting it, weaving it, sculpturing it, um, chiseling it, whatever you want to call it, but is, is doing it by hand. And, and this is really important. You, you you find things that you know maybe are still undervalued within ecuador but in other parts of the world where you can't find anything made by hand it has a tremendous value no i,
0: I completely agree with you there and um i just want um, we're coming near the hour mark now so i'll start to wrap up but i, I want to ask yourself um is, is there a sort of motto of Latin Trails or some sort of thing that you're just specifically trying to achieve? There's the, the sort of the, the one big message to sort of uh, speak to people, sort of about this whole project that you've uh, sort of, you know, pulled all this experience and this thought into these things you want to bring people. What, what would
1: you like to say as a sort of uh, thing to that? Well, we want to, our, our objective is to share a little bit of um, the Ecuadorian way of life with family is uh is still very important where friendship is very important where you know the kindness of a greeting a guest and allowing them to be part of our culture is really in our hearts and sharing this treasure we have both cultural and nature so that it can actually uh, one way is bringing lo- uh, local uh, sustainable econ- economy to the local people for one part and the other is to share The conservation efforts that are taking place in the Ecuador and Amazon, the Galapagos Islands, and in in several parts of the Andes, where we where we value water, where we value plant life, and where we value animal life, where this has been taken care of, and so that you know maybe some of that can be taken back, it can change the way we see wildlife. No, not uh, and I think that well, there's a lot of people around the world that has have our same vision and come visit us, but there's a lot of people that don't. And they come back and they can we can send them back with that vision
0: that's absolutely beautiful and um it's funny my uh, girlfriend was speaking about we have to go to uh south america and sort of travel around and things and we do uh, want to go to peru as well so i'm sure in the future we'll be able to um, hit you up so i just want to find out where can people find sort of uh, information on latin trails and if there's anything else you'd like to add before you go
1: that latin trails is here to greet uh, people from all over the planet uh, as a DMC, we offer unique experiences throughout Ecuador and Peru, meaning that we curate cultural activities from uh, local families, from indigenous people, uh, local tribes, both in the, the Andes and the Amazon. Uh, and in terms of nature, we we can share access to places like the Galapagos Islands on a, on a small yacht that reaches the further out islands. Or a lodge that is in the Amazon rainforest that has its conservation project and is right next to wildlife reserves, uh, as well as a, a hotel in Quito where, it, which is called Pila Experience Hotel, where you're in the heart of San Marcos neighborhood, uh, artistic district, and you can interact with the people that live there. But not just these uh, specific uh, experiences, but many other throughout the entire region of Ecuador and Peru. Oh,
0: and and that's actually fantastic. And I'll um I'll include a link uh down in the show notes and whatnot on everywhere that I post this to uh, Latin trails and things. I mean, I I did have a, a glance on there before our chat, and I thought it did look absolutely incredible. So I'll um I'll definitely be sure to uh, check that out when I come down and uh, travel around South America's. And um yeah, Marcel, uh, Marcel, well, it's been absolutely incredible uh, speaking with you. Um, is there anything like you'd, you'd like to add? Well, Mike,
1: thank you very much for having me at your show. I really do hope you can make it down here and we would be very happy to show you around. I would absolutely love it. Thank you very much. You have a a lovely rest of the evening.
0: Um, Thank you very much for giving me your time. It's been absolutely brilliant to speak with you. Take care. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. And yeah, I'm glad all of you made it to the end and didn't quit halfway through. Uh, if you did and you came back to it, then thank you very much. Um, as I said, the audio wasn't actually too bad. I just thought I'd give a little warning at the start. Um, and as I also said at the start, if you like this episode and you like hearing about people talking about traveling and things like that, um episode two of Genuine Chit Chat. So really, really early on, um I chatted with my friend TJ about how travels around Asia. So, you know, check that out if you enjoy it. Um, there's a link in the description to Latin Trails so you know check that out as well if you're interested in travelling around South America and you want to see what the sort of experience that Marcel has to offer um, but apart from that guys I think next week is likely to be my chat with Goff from Beer Nuts Productions um, I've got him scheduled for a chat on this Saturday um, as I've said in the past I don't generally say when I've got a new guest lined up but I'd just like to say it if they've already been a guest before and if they're quite keen you know um, so I should be chatting with him shortly again which would be great Talk about his new sort of comedy film that he's got out and I believe he saw The Book of Mormon recently so I want to talk to him about that because uh, I saw it a little while ago as well um, I've got my chat with Callum lined up on the well tomorrow I think it is um, so he is the frontman, vocalist, singer, songwriter lyricist, whatever of um, Placeholder which is a hardcore band or well, a local hardcore band uh, he's also one of my best friends and I've known him for God, probably 15 plus years now um, he was actually on an earlier episode of Genuine Chit Chat as well I believe it was episode 4 which is around the time where his old band Decipher became his current band placeholder so you know who knows what we're going to talk about it- precisely well his new EP and sort of other things to do being a metal vocalist and whatnot. but that's something to look forward to um, I've got I'm just looking at that calendar i don't think i've got another chat until the 22nd 23rd which should be with an author person uh and then after that i should be guesting on another podcast which would be cool and then I haven't really got anything planned for August at the moment for recording um, it's been incredibly busy so I'm hoping this will be enough to last me through but I just also wanted to say as a reminder um, on the 11th of August which is obviously a Sunday um, I won't be releasing an episode then because I'm going to be in Mexico I'll keep everyone up to date on like Instagram and that sort of stuff what I'll kind of get up to if you're interested uh, but I'm not going to be releasing an episode then um, because I can't really be asked. if I'm being completely honest uh, I may end up releasing like a little special episode um, the week before just explaining that and maybe me just sort of solo ranting and rambling on about god knows what um but yeah apart from that i think that's about it guys um i'm gonna go now um you know as i say i really appreciate everyone listening to the podcast everyone sharing following etc doing all the usual things uh this podcast only really survives from people you know sharing it word of mouth that sort of thing because i don't spend any money on advertising Uh, but yeah that's everything from me guys thanks as always for tuning in i appreciate each and
1: every one of you listening especially this far and i'll talk to all of you next week